If you have a Bible with you, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 5? And if you're using one of our red Story Church Bibles from the seat in front of you, Matthew chapter 5 is on page 472. We just began last week looking at um, Jesus' most famous teaching, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we're in the second week looking at the Sermon on the Mount, specifically in the first section, which is called the Beatitudes, a list of, of, uh, of blessings um, or people that are blessed, qualities that are blessed. And last week, we looked at the first half of this group, and we, we saw the posture that we are to take as we come into the kingdom of God. That is, we're to be poor in spirit, we're to take a posture of mourning of our sin and a posture of meekness toward God. That is, going to Him and relying on Him and His righteousness for our salvation. I said last week that the Beatitudes are not descriptions of eight different kinds of people, but that these are eight descriptions of the same kind of person, namely the kind of person who has been brought into the kingdom of God. These are eight descriptions that are to describe every Christian. Uh, If you call yourself a Christian, Jesus is saying that your life should look like this. And we broke this group of eight into two parts because I think that there is a logical transition that takes place halfway through. The first half, last week, we focus on the posture that we are to take towards God. And so we dealt with our, our vertical relationship. How are we to posture ourselves towards God? And now there's a transition that takes place, and Jesus is going to talk about what is our posture towards the world? What is our posture towards other people, our, our horizontal relationship with others? Um, and so we saw last week that you know, before God, we're supposed to recognize our, our moral inability, our spiritual bankruptcy. We're to acknowledge the depths and the wickedness of our sin. We're to confess it and mourn it. And we're to uh, see uh, how in this humble place, we aren't to turn to anger or despair, but to the one who can solve our problem. Namely, we're to turn to the one who can answer the question, O oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of sin? We turn to the Lord and rest upon his righteousness that we have through faith. So again, the first four deal with our relationship with God, and now we come to a turning point, and we're looking at how then are Christians supposed to relate to the world? How are we supposed to engage with those around us? And so we're going to read this whole section again, but we're going to look at the second half, and we're going to see that our lives should be characterized by mercy, purity of heart, and peace. Those aren't my three points, but that's what's in the text, and I'll get to my points as we go through the sermon. But let's read Matthew 5, 1 through 10, and then look at this. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he had sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have given us your word to direct us and guide us in life. Chiefly, it guides us and directs us to your Son. And so now we pray, Spirit, would you open up this word to us? Would you open up our hearts to see the truth of your gospel, the depths of your love that we have through Christ? In his name we pray, amen. So what do we see here? What do we see in this list, and specifically in the second half of the list? We see a blessed kingdom. That's my first point. We see here a picture, a portrait of a blessed kingdom. We see people who have come to Jesus, who have received his righteousness, who have been born again and have been given new life through him. They are people who now have been brought into the kingdom of heaven. They are citizens of the kingdom of God, and because they are citizens of the kingdom of God, they in turn live their lives as citizens of that kingdom. It's a description of those who follow Jesus, who let Jesus be the ruler and king of their lives, that they are merciful, that they're pure in their heart, and that they pursue peace with others. And the first thing I want you to see is that Christians, people who have been brought into the kingdom of God, they're actually going out and engaging with people. I think it's so typical, uh, the stereotype of Christians is that we're saved and then we isolate ourselves, that we become part of the kingdom of God and so then we pull away from the rest of the world. But Jesus is very clear that those who are part of the kingdom of God are actually in the world engaging with others. And it's beautiful how they're engaging with others. They're merciful towards them. They have purity of heart. They pursue peace. This is unlike the way of the world. What Jesus is calling us to here is to to realize that now that you are a citizen of the kingdom, you are to look like the kingdom and not like the world. That you are to have the values of the kingdom rather than the values of the world. Jesus is calling us to evaluate our values and ask, do I value the things of the world or do I value the things of the kingdom? I'm going to briefly walk through these three points and show you how and in what way they are divine values of the kingdom that are against and opposed to the way of the world. First, Jesus says that citizens of the kingdom are to be merciful. They're to have mercy over mere pity. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who show mercy. And mercy, we we often lump the word mercy uh, together with the word grace. We often talk about God's grace and God's mercy. And, you know, they're very similar to one another, but they're used distinct from one another. Grace, to remind you, grace is to show unmerited and undeserved blessing. So, for example, Christmas. 
We give gifts to our kids. We give gifts to our friends. We give gifts to our family. And we don't put any strings attached to those gifts. We give them out freely. We say, you have not earned this. You, don't, you didn't work for it, but I'm giving it to you freely. Freely given, freely received. That is grace. And with regard to salvation, you know, Paul in Ephesians says that we're saved by grace. That is, we've been given salvation freely. It's not something that we work for. It's not something that we earn. We are giving it to us freely. That's grace. Now then, what is mercy? Well, mercy, it's similar. Whereas grace deals with sin in terms of pardoning sin, mercy deals with the effects of sin. And so grace uh, freely pardons sin. Mercy brings relief to sin. Uh, mercy is, is moving towards someone or some, uh, someone who is in a helpless and hurting position. On the one hand, grace pardons from sin. Mercy extends relief. Grace cleanses and restores. Mercy brings help and healing. Mercy is a tangible, action-oriented display of love towards someone who is suffering as the result of sin. Jesus gives us a great example of mercy in his parable of the Good Samaritan. You might remember the story Jesus tells of a man who's walking from Jerusalem down the road to Jericho. While he's on this road, there's a group of robbers that jump on him. They beat him up. They rob him, and they leave him to die on the side of the road. As the story goes, two religious leaders pass by him, and they have pity on him, but they don't do anything. And then Jesus says, then there was a man from Samaria, and he saw this man left for dead, and he crossed the road over to him, picked him up, cared for him, put him on his own donkey, led him to the nearest town, paid for his lodging, and paid for his healing, his recovery. Jesus says, that is the man who showed mercy. That is the one who truly loved his neighbor. Mercy is to show love towards others who are hurting and are helpless because of sin. We see throughout Scripture that God shows mercy continuously. And so as citizens of his kingdom, we are to show mercy too. Not mere pity, but mercy. Second, Jesus says, not only blessed are those who show mercy, but blessed are those who are pure in their heart. Pure in their heart. And, and I think the way that, to think about this is that Jesus is saying people in the kingdom live with integrity over duplicity. People live with integrity in the kingdom rather than duplicity. Let me, let me show you what I mean by that. Jesus says, blessed are those who are pure in heart. Pure in their inner self, in their core of their being. You know, David, the great psalm writer, says, Who can ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who can approach him? Those who are of clean hands and of pure heart. 
In his psalm of confession, Psalm 51, he cries out, Create in me a clean heart, O God. It's a disposition of our inner self being clean and pure and righteous. And in the life of Jesus and his ministry and his teaching, again and again and again, we're going to see Jesus interacting with, with folks called the Pharisees. And the chief issue that Jesus calls out when talking to the Pharisees is that these are men and women who think and live as though they followed God, and yet they put the emphasis on their external cleanliness without regard of internal cleanliness. You know, the accusation or the the charge that Jesus brings against them is, is that they like to wash the outside of the cups without realizing that the inside of the cup is dirty. He says that you guys are like whitewashed tombs. I don't know if you've ever walked through Lakeview Cemetery over in Cleveland Heights. It's gorgeous. It's a beautiful cemetery with with beautiful statues and memorials and, and all that. And you walk around and you can quickly forget amongst the beauty that there are decaying bodies buried there. Jesus is saying, you care about the outside appearance, and you take no regard for the decay and death that's on the inside. And so to be pure in heart, Jesus is saying, is is to recognize that it's your heart that matters. Is your heart clean? Is your heart pure? Not the outside, but the inside. And this doesn't mean just purity towards God, but it also has to do with our relationships with those around us. Because the Pharisees who cared about their external appearance and not their heart, they were called hypocrites by Jesus. And to be called a hypocrite was, was to be called, a hypocrite was someone who, who played a part in a play. It comes from the theater. It's someone who wore a mask and took on a different personality. To be a hypocrite is to say, on the outside, this is who I project myself to be, but on the inside, I'm a different person. I'm living two different lives, not only with God, but with those around me. So Jesus is saying, blessed are the pure in heart because they live with integrity. Who they are on the inside matches who they are on the outside. They aren't living two different lives. They aren't pretending to be someone with their friends and coworkers and family, but on the inside of their heart, there's something else. No, they live with integrity. It means that their yeses are yes. Their noes are noes. At work, they don't cut corners. They don't fudge the numbers. People like this don't lie to get out of trouble. They don't make up half-truths to appease other people. They're pure not only in their inner life, but also their outer life, their private life and their public life. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. They live with integrity. And then finally, he says, blessed are the peacemakers. And so we ought to have the value of, of peacemaking over 
relational passivity. Peacemaking means seeking reconciliation and unity between yourself and others when there is offense, where there is division. And often this requires a cost. That's why it's so easy to ignore it. That's why it's so easy to be passive about that. To reconcile, to create peace, often there is a cost. Sometimes it's an intangible cost, like the cost of your pride when you have to admit that you've hurt someone, that you've done wrong. Sometimes it'll cost you relational awkwardness to bring up with someone the way in which they have hurt you. It'll cost you time and energy to put in the work of reconciliation and rebuilding of trust. But Jesus says that is what citizens of the kingdom do. We value peace. We pursue peace. We aren't passive. We don't ignore the problem and hope that time will clear it up. We're not passive with others. We're willing to lay down our own rights for the sake of peace. These are the values of the kingdom. We are to show mercy. Mercy to those who are helpless, who are in need of help because of sin. And get this, not just because they live in a sinful world and they're affected by sin, but get this, we are to show mercy to those who are in a helpless state even because of their own sin. It's, it's really easy for us to say, well, they got themselves in that mess. No. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful who show mercy to those who are in a place of need, whether it's because of the sin of others or their own sin. We are to be pure in our heart, to live with integrity, to be transparent with one another, with even those closest to you, your family and your friends, so that your inner life and your outer life are one. They aren't hiding who you are from one another. You're honest. You live with integrity. And we are to be people who pursue peace. And friends, let me just talk about that in the church real quick. Because it'd be really easy if someone here or me offends you. And rather than pursuing peace, rather than committing to reconciliation, it'd be really easy for you to say, well, they hurt me. I'm gone. I'm going to the church across the street. I'm going to the church down the road. They offer the same thing that they do. This church hurt me, and so I'm leaving. Jesus says, no, we are to be peacemakers. We are to pursue it. We're to commit to one another. That's why membership in the church is so important. We're saying, we're vowing before the Lord and before one another that I am committing to the unity and fellowship here. It will take time and take energy and it will cost us our pride, but we are to be united and peaceful here. Guys, that is not the value of the world, where if you are offended, you can throw it away and find something else to replace it easily. But here, in the church, citizens of the kingdom, we are to pursue peace. So that's what Jesus is doing. He's painting this picture of a blessed kingdom. Now, 
How do we do it? My second point is this. Not only do we see here a picture of a blessed kingdom, we see and are reminded of a blessed principle. A blessed principle, a truth upon which we understand how this works. Let me reiterate what I have been saying all along this morning and last week, because I think that this is the crucial key principle to the whole Beatitudes, to the whole Sermon on the Mount. In fact, I think that this is the principle to the whole Christian faith. These are characteristics of citizens of the kingdom. This is how members of the kingdom are to live. And it's only because we are members of the kingdom that we're able to live like this. Let me put it a different way. We don't live like citizens in order to become citizens of the kingdom. We are made citizens of the kingdom, and because of that, we live as citizens of the kingdom. We cannot live our way into the kingdom. We are born into it. And because of that, our lives are different. I love, uh, well, actually, I used to love watching The Crown. It's gotten a little boring to me. Uh, but we're watching season five, and a couple episodes ago, it followed the life of a man. I didn't know about this man, Mohammed Al-Fayed. Maybe you know of him. Apparently, he's a big deal. Mohammed Al-Fayed was born in Egypt, and at a very young age, uh, the British monarchy visited, and he saw them from a distance and thought that they were wonderful. He saw the, the, the majesty and the pomp and circumstance around him, and he thought, these men and women are like living gods. He idolized the British elite the British society. He thought that that was the upper echelon of culture. And so he devoted his life, an Egyptian-born man, he devoted his life to one day be welcomed into that kingdom. And so he spent his life amassing great wealth for himself. I mean, buying up investment property after investment property, putting money into different causes and movements and initiatives, all to build up his name and his brand. He moved to London. He actually bought one of the former estates of the monarchy and redid it to give it as a gift to Queen Elizabeth, hoping that maybe he could meet her. This man was obsessed with living like royalty, hoping that one day he would be welcomed in. And to this day, he has been denied British citizenship twice. Friends, you cannot live your way into the kingdom. You have to be born into it. That is what this is saying. That is what Jesus is saying in this whole thing. You become a citizen by grace, and because of that, then you begin to embody the qualities of the kingdom. Jesus later on will say that on judgment day, many will come to him and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name, did we not cast out demons and perform miracles? To which Jesus is going to reply, depart from me, for I never knew you. 
What is Jesus saying? You can't work your way into the kingdom. You can't do all of this. Rather, you have to be born into it by grace alone. And then, and only then, will you live a life as a citizen of heaven. If that is the case, then we reach another truth of this blessed principle. That is, the message of the Bible, the gospel of Jesus, the very foundation of our belief, puts more emphasis then on your being rather than your doing. Certainly, Scripture is, it has elements of instruction and rules and direction to our life. Absolutely. But if this principle is true, that first we become citizens of the kingdom and then we embody the values of the kingdom, well then, there is more emphasis placed. There is weightier matters placed, not on our doing, but on our being. Who you are in the kingdom determines what you do in life. That is the logical flow of the Beatitudes. Look, last week we talked about our vertical relationship. We are to be poor in spirit, mourning of our sin, meek toward God, so that we can be filled with his righteousness, a declaration of who we are. You are righteous before God. And because we have been made righteous, because that is who we are, our being, then we embody this, that we take this disposition towards others. After our vertical relationship is set, our horizontal relationship comes out. Jesus is not haphazardly picking good virtues out of thin air and saying, these are good things we should do. No, he is teaching us the logical flow of the gospel. First, the gospel affects who you are. And then, and only then, does it impact what we do. And it's not just Jesus. This is how the gospel is laid out for us all over the New Testament. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, spends chapters 1, 2, and 3 laying out the principles that before the foundation of the world, God in his love and his grace chose you in Christ for salvation. And he did this by grace alone, not by anything you have done. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. He has made you alive. He has set you free from the enslavement to sin that you have. And then and only then do we get to chapter 4, that says, therefore, live as you have been called. Therefore, live as being recreated in the image of God. Who you are first, and then here's what we do. Romans chapters 1 through 11 lay out so clearly the great doctrines of the faith that we are, every last one of us, falling short of the glory of God, and that no works of the law can justify us. But praise be to God that he has revealed his righteousness apart from the works of the law, a righteousness that is ours through faith. And then chapter 12, Paul says, in light of this great mercy towards you, offer your whole lives 
in loving service to his kingdom. The danger of confusing these is big. If we mix these up, if we say, I have to work, I have to live, I have to embody before I'm welcomed into the kingdom, if we mix those up, the danger is big. If we reorder them, the Christian life no longer becomes one of joy, but becomes one of bitterness, entitlement, and resentment. Here's what I mean. Spiritual disciplines, reading the word, coming and worshiping, taking even of the sacraments, praying, all of these, they are sources of joy for the Christian life. But if we mix this up, they become they become sources of bitterness and entitlement and resentment. If reading our Bible becomes a means by which we try to make ourselves worthy of God's favor, for instance, if we say, God, I am facing a difficult challenge, and if you do this for me, here's what I'm going to do for you. If that's how we approach these things, we're going to be resentful towards him. If we say, God, I've been coming to church every week for the last two years. I've devoted myself to helping start this church. Lord, why is my life a mess? That's entitlement. You're mixing it up. Prayer no longer becomes communing with God and talking to our Father, but it becomes either a performance or bringing a list of demands. The danger of mixing these up, I think, can be seen most clearly in Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. Remember, Jesus told us a story of a father who had two sons. One of the sons, the younger son, he took his inheritance. He said, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give Give me what I deserve. He took that and he ran away and he squandered it. But then we learn about the older son who stayed home who listened to the rules. He didn't make a mess of his life. He obeyed left, right, and center. He did everything that he was supposed to do. And when the younger son came back home, the father celebrated and was joyful and threw a party for him, how did the older brother feel? Bitter? Entitled? Resentful? He said, Dad, I've been doing everything for you. I've done everything you've ever asked of me. I've shown up. I did my duty. Where's my joy? Where's my celebration? Where's my happiness? I have obeyed you to a T. I've never transgressed your law. I have done everything that you asked me for. Where is my party? You see, this older brother was trying to obey the rules in order to get something in return. His father said to him, all that I have has always been yours. In other words, son, stop trying to work for my love. Don't you see that you already have it? Friends, this is the danger of forgetting this blessed principle. 
brothers and sisters in the faith, we need to stop trying to work for our Father's approval. Stop trying to become citizens of the kingdom by acting like one. Stop doing and doing and doing and doing. Rather, come to a deeper understanding and recognition of who you are in Christ. This leads me to my final point. Not only do we see here a blessed kingdom and the blessed principle But finally, we see the blessed Savior. Because all of these characteristics, friends, they're not first and foremost what we are to do, the posture we're to take. They are first and foremost a picture of our Savior. And until we see that Jesus is this blessed man and see what he has done for us to make us part of his kingdom, There's no way we can live it out like this. Friends, Jesus is the one who showed mercy. He saw us in our sin, dead in our trespasses. He saw us in our helpless estate, left for dead on the side of the road, and he got off of his throne, came into this world, took on flesh, was obedient to his father, suffered through life, and then died on the cross for us. We got ourselves in that mess, and he showed us mercy. Friends, Jesus was pure in heart. He didn't live a double life. He laid his heart out before the Father. He lived with integrity. Our core being, by default, is wicked and stained with sin. And yet Jesus is pure and righteous. And when he died, his blood poured out and has made us clean. Friends, Jesus has made peace He got his hands dirty. He reconciled us back to God. He knew that there was a cost to that reconciliation and willingly paid the price of his life to bring us back to God. Friends, do you see? He showed us mercy. He was pure in heart for us. He made peace with us. Only when we understand this, that by his love, He has made us a member of the kingdom. Then and only then were we able to, filled with the Spirit of Christ working with us. Only then are we able to conform day and night to this image of Christ. Slowly but surely, we are made into the image of God. We are embodying the king of the kingdom, friends, because we are citizens of the kingdom. This is the blessed life the life that we have in Christ. Let's pray.